from the Los Angeles Underground. It's time for your new favorite podcast, The Superiority Complex. It's like honey in your ear holes. Hey, welcome back to Superiority Complex, everybody. It's your new favorite podcast. We are coming to you uh, live on tape, as they used to say back in the old days. What does that mean, John? Live on tape. That meant, I guess. Well, was, they they I, taped it in front of a live audience, like right. you know, but it's not, it's not like watching Saturday Night Live or something. So it was live know? on tape. Live on tape meant I don't think they cut. They didn't do any edits, right? It was just like you yeah, saw that the been show, like uh, like Johnny Barney Carson. Miller or something. Live on tape. Live on yeah, tape like from. the idea was not to cut. Yeah. Live on tape from the Los Angeles Underground. It is the Superiority Complex where we talk about lots of things. How's that? Not not a great That's intro. Cool. Not a great no, intro. <laughs> not a great intro. How you doing, boys? How's it going, man? It's uh, you know, the holiday season. It's the holiday season. Yep. <laughs> Every time. Every time. Dickory duck. You know, my work, they've been playing a lot of uh they decided to go uh Hawaiian Christmas music with no like lyrics, mm. just like you know, just like ukuleles playing. Uh, it's great. Boy, oh boy. I love it. Like, you know, you get tired of the same old Christmas songs over and over. And uh, boy, it just, it, it, it's like, this is fantastic. Whoever decided to sprinkle this in the regular playlist uh, is fantastic. Every once in a while, you just get like a ukulele playing Santa Claus is coming to town or something like that. And you're just like, this is fantastic. Makes me want to go instrumentals, to right? Instrumentals are great because you get really tired of the lyrics, you know. How'd you like to spend Christmas? Oh. That's why I like those straight jackets because it's always or the that, ventures. That's a great Christmas. One. It's always, uh, and that's why people don't get tired of the uh, Vince Guaraldi because it's mostly instrumental, right? I have that on vinyl, I gotta bust that out for the Christmas season. Bust um, it out. Let me tell you though, uh, I'll tell you one, I never get tired of the Leon Redbone album, I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a good one. Uh, I like that one because it has the Kitty Cat's Christmas. Nobody knows that song. It's very low key. You know what I'm talking about? That's a Kitty Cat's Christmas. God, that's a great song. Kitty Cat's Christmas. Look it up. Google it. Google it. You won't be mistaken. You cat lovers out there will love it. And you regular folk too, yeah. What is your tree up? Is your tree trimmed? Is then came the big question? day, giving the tree the trim. Yes. Then comes the big day, giving the tree the trim. Da 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 da, giving the tree the trim. Yeah. A Bob Clampett cartoon. Uh, I've asked this before. I ask it every year. What's your favorite Christmas song, Jake? Um. Oh God. I can't think. I can't think of one that's like my favorite right now. Um. I do like a good Silver Bells. Just a good Silver classic Bell. Silver Bells. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Little Dean Martin Silver Bells, right? He sings Silver Bells. Oh, that's another great Christmas album. The Dean Martin. Dean Martin Christmas is so good. So good. Sweet. I know Justine. I know Justine's listening. Oh, Jake, right I forgot to tell you on Turner Classic. If you, I don't know if you have regular cable. 
But if you do, uh, and you have Turner Classic on there, they have they've been running a documentary called Dean Martin, the King of Cool. It's really good. It's a really good documentary on Dean Martin. Dean Martin, the King, King of Cool, and how unknowable he was. How everything was kind of a, how everything was kind of a facade. But That's no, the trick. Nobody really got to know him. I get the feeling that even his family didn't get to know him. Right. You know? Right. Oh, it's, my beautiful wife is here. That's a very good documentary. Look, my beautiful wife is here. Uh, hello, beautiful wife. Wow. Did I forget something? Did I? No. Hi. Why, what a, what a <laughs> lovely greeting. That's nice. Huh? Good to see you. Oh, you have a Hello Kitty, uh, Hello Kitty uh, Christmas shirt on. Yep. I love it. What is this accoutrement? Oh, it's a portable air inflator. Oh, wow. We got a, did you, did you, did we have a problem with the car? Is there something going on? Oh, nice. I didn't know we had one of those. Thank you. Yeah, I now do. Thank you. Oh, did you have to buy one at work? No. All right. Well, you look great. Uh, by the way, uh, the gym, it's working for you. Hate, hate to see you leave. Love to watch you go. Yep, that's right. Bye. Wow, she's, that was very nice. I think she's going to murder me. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> She walked all the way in here to give me a little smoochy smooch. That was pretty nice. I'm not going to lie. Uh, and you're like, what's, what's going on? Yeah, what's going on? It's the holiday season. Boop. Uh, what were you saying? You were saying we were talking about instrumentals. We were talking about Dean Martin. The unknowable Dean Martin. Sorry. Dean Martin. King very cool. distracted. Yeah, That's a good documentary. Yeah, because they talk to the people that are still alive. I think there's a couple daughters and a couple people that are still alive that remember him. You know. Right, right, right. Uh, I've been doing a lot of YouTube, uh, just searching on YouTube, finding just weird things on YouTube. And uh, we, today's uh, movie is going to be Sherlock Jr. with Buster Keaton. And I sent John this thing called, what was it, The Scene Stealers? With with Buster Keaton yeah. and, and Ed Wynn and uh, all and... these 60s TV stars mixed in. It was like It looked like it was for the March of Dimes. It was like a, a fundraiser for the March of Dimes, it looks like. It was, but it was funny because you, uh, you sent it to me, you said, uh, what would you say if I told you that James Garner and Buster Keaton did a show together? I'm like, I can't even imagine what that would have been. Right. Unless Buster like guest starred on Maverick or something. Right. There it was. There it was right for you. You loved every second. You loved every second of it, didn't you? For your viewing pleasure. Yeah. I wish it would have been a better uh, copy, but it was, it was weird to see. It was a weird time capsule. And then oh, he, you know, not a bad copy. It's that's probably all that exists. That's all you're gonna get, you know. Uh, and he 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 was able to reunite with his old uh, co-star uh, from the great comedy Jimmy Durante of, of Buster Keaton and Jimmy Durante. Probably one of the most dynamic. Um, <laughs> those are you who. Are it's funny me. because Buster never hated anybody, so he just thought they were not a good matchup. You know, people might think that he went, you, you were there at the end of my career. But he just thought it was just a bad matchup. There was no reason to put him with Jimmy Durante. Right, right. Uh, I think he always thought, funny guy, but why am I with Jimmy Durante, you know? I wouldn't say he, he, I wouldn't say he, he ever hated anybody, but he had a strong dislike. Uh, I don't think he enjoyed working for the Marx Brothers, uh, if you find out. No, no. Or Abbott and Costello, because they just didn't have any respect for, uh, he said that the problem was those guys would just kind of like show up and and not put. He says they didn't put the extra work in. He says that's all we talked about when we were making a movie, and they just kind of like show up and kind of, you know, ad lib through it. Right, right. Different work ethic, you know. Different work ethic, and uh... what's interesting is you know he did a lot of stuff for. Uh, he was like a gag writer on a lot of those um, Red Skelton pictures, probably like three of them. Right, and. 
I, I, I just read something recently. They said, you know, uh, Red Skelton said, you know, he never wanted the credit. You know, we were remaking a lot of his bits, you know, outright. And he didn't care. He didn't want the credit. He he said he'd call me over and whisper to me. It would be funny if you did it this way. Why don't you give it a try? And he didn't want people to think. You know, he he said he gave me all the credit. He said he said that skeleton's really good oh, at the I physical for, comedy. I forgot. I was going to send you. I was watching it because we watched this movie. We watched Sherlock Jr. and I watched a little documentary where this guy went and reexamined the the shorts that Keaton did after he kind of tried to you know after he was kind of gone for a little while and then tried to do a comeback and he ended up doing all these shorts for education and then and he yeah. did a few for Columbia. There's one that predates the three stooges where he's doing the bit with, um, uh, take your hat off. Now hold your right hand up. Now hold up. Your yeah. Right hand. yeah. Yeah. And they totally, I didn't realize that this, the, the stooges, you know what it is. Lifted you, that. you know, the, I think you think if you think about it, you know, the answer to this, Jules White directed some of those uh, right. Keaton talkies, and then he ends up direct. He ends up directing most of the Three Stooges shorts. Right. So I'm right. I'm sure he said, "Hey, we got this bit, you know, the right. classic courtroom bit." Right. There's a couple of people on YouTube that have been showing it side by side, how Curly plays it, and then how you know, right down to you know, do you swear? No, but I know all the words. You know? Right, <laughs> right, right, right. That whole routine was, you know, yeah. They all they all co-opted routines from each other. It's all vaudeville. I it's just, all I, fair game. I, I, yeah, I, it wasn't. I wasn't like. I just. It was interesting to see a different take, and I had, I didn't realize that it had been done before. Uh, so it was kind of interesting for me to see that for the very first time. We're talking about, of course, the 1936 short Disorder in the Court, starring the Fine Brothers. And uh, you know, what's no, great. Everyone's Larry seen Fine and that the one. Brothers. Is- Sorry. Everyone's seen that because it's public domain. I've, I've realized now that everybody's seen that because it's one of the ones that wasn't copyrighted. There's about 10 Three Stooges shorts that ne- didn't, for some reason, they didn't get copyrighted. So they're in the public domain. Right. Which means anybody anybody that could strike a print could sell a videotape. Well, uh, and so everyone's seen it. I believe this year is the year that, uh, that Sherlock Jr. went into the public domain because it was 1923. So there, there are a lot of really good copies available for free on YouTube. So if you want to catch the movie that we're going to talk about, it's only 45 minutes long. If you, if you kind of wanted to dip your toe in the silent movie, um, waters, that's, it's a great place to start. Uh, it's not quite feature length, but it's a little bit longer than a short and, uh, they have, they've restored it. Uh, so you can find some really good high quality as a matter of fact, like HD prints available on, uh, free for YouTube on YouTube. So, uh, you know, if you want to find out what we're talking about, you can always go to YouTube. And, and we should just do. Um, they had a great gag on Mystery Science Theater one year where they were, uh, during one of the invention exchanges where the mad scientists came up with the public domain karaoke machine, and uh, it was. Uh, they always say it was like Battle Hymn of the Republic and Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and uh, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so oh, that's great. We should start doing that. We should start doing the public domain uh, podcast where we only watch public domain movies, like from the internet, yeah. internet movie archive. Hey, the yeah. ki- hey, there's a kitty. Hello, there's ki- a kitty. Can we get the kitty to speak? Ma- Can we get the kitty Ma- to speak on command? No, you Ma- don't want to say anything, do you? No, just when she wants something, where she talks. Huh? Yeah. She's. Mm-hmm. She, oh look, she loves you. And there she goes. Bye, kitty. <laughs> Bye, kitty. Meow. Jake, I'm going to ask you a personal question, and please don't hold it against me. 
Did you go see Godzilla minus one? I did not. You son of a bitch. I know. That's good though. John, did you go see Godzilla minus one? I didn't. Hey, did Brent catch it? I don't know. We need to ask him. Just curious. Just curious. Because we were all kind of chomping at the bit. And then all kind of, it kind of fell apart. I wasn't able to make it. So I thought maybe you could go catch it with Brent. I didn't want to blame it on you, but yes, that's exactly what happened, John. You you really... Yeah. <laughs> you were the glue I'm holding glad. it all together. Yeah, I took, I'm glad. I, I, I was I, so glad that you caught it. I had a brief window of time. I didn't get to see it projected in IMAX, but I did see it on a nice screen with a nice sound system in a modern theater. And... Um, I have to say, with no hyperbole, uh, I probably the 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 best movie Godzilla movie since the original. Um, wow! Some ways, That's a bold statement. In some ways, trumps the original um, be, because while the I said and I I did my first um, I did my first review for Letterboxd, which is on Letterboxd which is a letterbox.com, which is the one. Brent does a lot of reviews there. He does great reviews if you want to follow him. I think it's a home video hustle. It's letterboxed, B-O-X-D, no E. And it's, you know, people just reviewing movies. So I, I sat down and I had time and I got my thoughts out. Uh, but I mentioned that, you know, while the, the original will always be the best because it's the original um, and it has that, we, John and I talked about it, it has a very somber tone. This movie matches the tone of the original, and where it does trump the original is that the characters are a little bit more um, three dimensional. Uh, oh, cool. so um, you know, oh, Jake dropped out. He didn't. He didn't like my review. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> He'll join us again. Um, what? Uh, no. What? What? Uh, That's a bold statement. Out of how many have they done? Fifty Godzilla 30, movies. Thirty-eight in the last. Thirty-eight, I believe. There's thirty-eight in Toto. So this is the best. That's a bold statement. Well, you know, Shin Godzilla 2016 was great. Uh, yeah. 2016 Shin Godzilla was great. This I feel is a, is a little bit better. Um, again, I think the whole point of Shin Godzilla was to have a kind of faceless bureaucracy, so you don't get to know the characters because that's what the whole movie was kind of a critique of was the was the Japanese government's response to the Fukushima reactor and um, disaster and um, so you they threw a lot of information at you very quickly they threw a lot of characters you re- didn't really get to know anybody and that was done on purpose um, this I feel they really took their time Godzilla is not Godzilla is a problem to be solved uh, here a big problem uh, but a, a, a lot, like I mentioned, this is a lot like The Dark Knight where uh, there's a good movie happening and then Batman happens to be in it. And this is the same thing with Godzilla. This is a good movie happening and Godzilla happens to be in the movie. Um, but but it's a very human story and you end up caring a lot about the people. And um, it's one of those movies where you're just sweating bullets because you're like, well, I don't want this character to die. I hope this guy doesn't die. Um that's pretty cool because a lot of times you see these things and you really don't get to know them well enough to care. No. Or, they're, <laughs> or they're just like, car- you know, we've seen all the 60s Godzilla movies where they're just weird space aliens and you're just they're just guys wearing yeah. like wraparound sunglasses and a yeah. tinfoil hoodie and you're just like, okay, uh, you know, it's, it, it's just fun. Yeah, just get back to the mons. It's just fun, but it's kind of mindless fun. This, they really, and what, they, it's really an examination of 
Japan at the at this crossroads. You know, the wars just ended. Um, they're they're completely obliterated by like the firebombing of Tokyo, um, and it's this nation kind of trying to grapple with the fact that they've just lost this war, um, and they're trying to get back on their feet economically and you know, everybody's just dealing with the loss and devastation. So it's really about, you know, this, the trauma of, of like not just individuals, but an entire nation trying to get over, you know, get through what, what's just happened in the world. And then here comes Godzilla to just make things worse. And, um, you know, it's fun, kind of funny because the scenes you can see them from the previews, you know, obviously he's going to attack uh, Tokyo and, and the scenes where you have this really modern looking Godzilla against this period piece, this backdrop, it's so incongruous that it shouldn't work, but it works. It works amazingly well. And it's almost more terrifying because you're thinking, you know, here's these poor people and they've just lived through a war. And here comes this, you know, this modern take on Godzilla. That's just an absolute beast. And um, like, how can you stop it? How can you stop them? Uh, it's great. And what what's and did, did they address like what's left of their military? You know, what right. is it, like forties, right? Is this like late forties. Yeah, or? they they move the Godzilla timeline up from like the the mid fifties to the early to the late forties. So this, okay. is, I believe, this is like forty. Yeah. So it's after Bikini Atoll. It's after the war. Um, it starts out during the war and then quickly moves into the post war period. So you're seeing kind of Japan trying to get back and the people get back on their feet and. Um, yeah, it's. I think it takes place in forty eight. I want to say forty seven or forty eight. And they do make mention yeah. of like, you know, ships having to be de- decommissioned because they're warships, and now America's in charge, and they can't have certain things, and they can't, you know, their military's kind of yeah. their military's kind of hamstrung by what you know, uh, and uh, they give a really interesting reason for why the why the U.S. isn't intervening on Japanese on that behalf of the Japanese, but I'll let you watch it and you'll figure it all out. And uh, but yeah, they get into like the, a little bit of the the political situation of the time you know obviously japan is in this position where they're now being kind of um you know it's kind of like one of those uh britney spears situations where her parents are kind of you know, i forgot what that's called a conservative ship a conservative ship? Uh, uh yeah that's it that's yeah, it yeah. A conservative ship. it's kind of the u.s has this conservatorship of japan kind of and so you're just like oh okay like you know they got to ask permission for everything. <laughs> right, right. And they they that's another that that comes up as in 2016 in in Shin Godzilla. So, you know, but it's very very interesting the Godzilla, you know, they made this movie for 15 million dollars. It's one of the best looking Godzillas. Uh the the um the CG is great. There are these extended sequences where he's out on the water. Again, I'm not spoiling anything. It's in the preview. But there you know, he's out on the water and he's chasing this boat like like jaws kind of thing. And it's the most terrifying I've ever seen Godzilla look. In this movie, he's absolutely terrifying, which, um, you know, we've gotten used to seeing kind of the rubber suits, and then it's, he's not always scary. He's kind of big and lumbering, and, you know, you, you're waiting for the scenes of destruction, but this one, it really feels, you really feel for the humans in the movie. Like, just, you know, everybody, all you know, the, the, the faceless crowds that get, you know, squished when he's, you know, you're just like, oh, my God, this is terrifying. So, uh yeah, and it's really, really well done. I, I can't say enough about the direction. The, the score is absolutely beautiful, and um, they um, they interpolate Akira Ifukube's original score at just nice. the, at just the right time. Like you're just like, oh yeah, there it is. But the score the whole time is really, really, you know, it's it's really, really well done. And 
the acting. Nice. Is, yeah, it's great. It's it's a great movie. Um, so it's uh, Toho. I yes, Toho Studios, and you know the Toho thing. It's just like seeing the Lucas film uh, for me. The, <laughs> seeing the Lucas, we're seeing that on the big screen after seeing it so many years. You know, watching it on TV is really kind of like it gets me. Like it puts me in the headspace. We're like, okay. Does your heart, does your heart race? Yeah, I'm just like, that? here we go. Let's go. We're going to see it. Hang on. Yep, here we go. Uh, yeah, uh, highly recommended. I gave it, uh, it's 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 not perfect. Uh, but it's I gave, not a 10? I gave it a 9 out of 10. Uh, maybe when I see it again, it, you know, and it might grow over time. I might, I might. Get, I don't know why I'm not giving it a 10. Uh, but, right. But, but right now, right. It's, an, it's a 9 out of 10. But like I said, cool. every bit as good as the original. Go see it if you haven't seen it. If you have a, a passing interest in Godzilla, go see it. Uh, right. I, I have a friend who I w- went with me. We went after work. Uh, she had no, she had basic, a very basic understanding of Godzilla. Um, uh, she did, to the to the point where she didn't know she knew Godzilla was this big lizard, but she didn't know he could breathe uh, fire. So uh, she was totally surprised uh, at certain parts of the movie. But um, she, when it was over, she said that was that was a great movie. You know, I really, well, there you go. I, she said, I, I thought it was just going to be a fun, it'd just be fun to watch, you know, monsters run around and stuff. She goes, that really ended up being a good uh, a good movie. Another friend of mine went and saw it uh, with, with her husband, and she cried. So That's about as good as, you, as it gets, huh? Yeah, they really. Then you see them. The they put the the trailer out for the new um, uh, King Kong versus Godzilla, and it just looks so silly. And you're just like, oh man, like we're wasting this character. We have this, you know, Legendary has this license to do this character, and they could really be doing some great stuff with it. And we're just doing like silly, you know. It's odd that they're coming out so close together, you know. But I guess it, the, you know, it, it's yeah. This is like the never say never again of uh, right, of Godzilla right. Movies. But uh, yeah, it looks like it's directed by Michael Bay. Just like just going for oh the 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 over the top the Kong X Godzilla. I think it's called Kong X Godzilla. Mm -hmm. X Godzilla. Somebody said they don't even know. Nobody knows how to say it. Is it is it Kong Times Godzilla? Is it ten? Is it is it you know what they said? Nobody knows really how to pronounce the title yet. Kong. How to say the title? KVG. Because it's X, so they say. So is it times, or is it ten, or is it you know, multiplied by is it Kong <laughs> plus like, Kong plus Godzilla yeah. Kong? Yeah. How would you say it, Jake? Kong. I would. I don't know. Kong X Godzilla. I guess. Uh, you, did, Jake, did you see Oppenheimer? I did not see Oppenheimer. Nor did I see Barbie. Oops. Did you see Napoleon? No. Oh, oh we had a little accident here in the studio. Uh-oh. And, uh oh. What happened? Well, my Xbox is on the floor. That's not good. Is that part of the broadcast? Uh, is, this, is this a bit? Is this a bit? No, my Xbox fell off of the show. Oh, that's not good. That's here. not good. So stand by. You might need to buy me something for Christmas. <laughs> it's, it, well, it doesn't have any... It's a solid state drive. It doesn't have any parts, so it should be okay. It'd be fine. I get Jake would be the guy to ask. What could happen when you drop an Xbox? What uh, could happen? The, the sad part. Uh, the sad part about what just happened is the Xbox took took down this mug, which was made for a movie I did called Death Squad on a Budget, 
Um, and uh, I've had this mug for since the early 90s. Uh, so a friend made it for me, so I'm going to have to try to glue it back together. Well, that sucks. I don't even know how that happened. It just, uh, my chair must have gone. So it broke? Ah, it's broke. Well, so the, the mug busted. Can you glue it? I'm going to I'm gonna have to do it, John. I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to have to do just that, sir. Uh-huh. We can rebuild we can it. Do... We can make it better than it was before. Better, stronger, faster. Yeah, you can do that. Um, you could just glue it together, or you can do the Japanese art of kintsugi. Oh yeah, do the What's gold with the gold. Yeah, that'd be What's, fun. Yeah. What's that? You solder gold um, into the into the cracks. You solder it with gold. Ah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you're commemorating the accident. Right. Yep. You're making it into a thing. Right. Don't make it into a thing, John. Stop yeah. making. B- Monica Bellucci. Every thing. time I see every time I see Olivia Munn now, I think of that. I see her. I go, I, you know, I do the wolf whistle, and then I go. If Mario was here, he'd go. Don't try to turn her into a thing. Yeah, don't try. To, <laughs> yeah, Olivia Munn. That's fun to say. I love it. You say you say it with such disdain, Olivia Munn. Right. It's because you have to. It's like a down when you when you say her name. You're 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 taking your your vocal Munn. It goes down. It's I, it's I don't know. Uh, how to, I don't know. How, yeah, yeah, exactly. Olivia, Olivia Munn. Munn. Uh, so you got to take it up and go, Olivia Munn. Yeah, you can't. You you can't. You're you got to say it like your voice naturally mm. drops, and so it just mm. it comes out like Olivia. Munn. It's almost like an agent would have said, "This is going to stick in people's throats. Why don't you come up with another name?" Olivia <laughs> Munn. 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 It's like um, it's like in in Barton Fink when they you hear this guy Munt. Munt, yeah, this guy, yeah, Munt says it like, Munt. yeah, what was it? It was a madman Munt. <laughs> yeah. Don't take your shoes off in here, guys, because there's there might be bits of porcelain on the floor. All right, fine. <laughs> you must be talking to somebody who's actually in the room, right? No, I'm, ta- I'm talking to you guys. I'm talking to you. Next thing, come on, okay. Don't take okay. your shoes off. Nobody, first of all, nobody wants to see your hobbit feet, and second of all, I don't want you to cut yourself. I don't want you cutting. You said it like, don't sleep in the subway, baby. What's that? Don't sleep in the subway, darling. That was a song. Don't by, sleep in the subway. By who? Oh, uh, who the hell was it? Lulu or Petula Clark, one of those blonde 60s Brits. I guess it was Lulu. Don't sleep in the subway, baby. Her name was actually Lulu? Well, I'm sure that was a stage name. <laughs> she's in a movie. Watch she's, that. She's in a movie. Watch that last step. Yeah, I think she was in uh, To Sir With Love or something. Right. That was it, John. Uh, How did you know? You son of a gun. I That's don't know. Exactly. I, the movie I, I don't know. <laughs> I she probably sang the the lead song too, right? To uh, Sydney Poitier. Yeah. All those kids in that movie went on to be like British TV stars in like the 80s. Like all the kids in the they all wanted to be. On, yeah. They all wanted to be on like, uh, are you being served in all those 80s? Right. Shows. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. They're like, yes, I was into Sir with Love. You might have remembered. I was third student from the left. Right. right. I was the one that gave a flower to Sydney Portier. Oh, you. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, hello. Yes. Hello, Mr. Portier. Yes. Um, Sydney Portier. Never seen that movie. I, I can never bring myself to watch it. It just seems like it's going to be a, a difficult, a difficult watch. <laughs> it's going to be dangerous minds, but with sixties British mod teens, just yeah. 
Right, or it's going to be Blackboard Jungle, but a lot, you know, squishier, you know? <laughs> squishier, that's a great, uh, This, yeah, this Godzilla movie is not squishy, so in case you're wondering, <laughs> this is not a squishy Godzilla film. This is, uh, this is All right, well, as soon as I'm up and about, I'm going to check that thing out. Yeah. And uh, if if possible, in IMAX, but if not, I'll just go and catch also, it at my also, local Also, this is one of the thickest Godzillas we've ever had on screen, very thick. Is that right? Very thick-thighed, mm-hmm. very thick. <laughs> that's i mean that's the that was he's the eating. iteration of uh right. godzilla is a real a real chunky boy yeah he is he's eating boy. well well he's down in the ocean man he's probably eating like whales and stuff yeah he's, he's having a whale of a time hey how you doing hey how you doing uh yeah you know go see it please and uh, i will have fun a rave review. You're the go-to guy for Godzilla. If you're I, giving it a nine, then you have to go see it. The know? only the only thing I, I can say, the only drawback this movie has is how do you improve upon it? It's one of those things where like it's so good. Anything else That's pretty cool. anything else from Toho that doesn't match this is gonna be kind of a disappointment. And again, that's kind of what happened with Batman after the Dark Knight. <laughs> How right. do you ever make one that's that's better or even right. as good? You know. Well, I, I listen. I'm in the minority, and I know you liked it too, John. But I thought they did a great job with the Batman. I know a lot of people didn't. like Oh it. yeah. I think. Oh I, yeah. I know a lot of people didn't like it. I loved it. Thought it was great. But, you know, it's what I mean, we've always. It's what, it's what you and I have wanted for a long time. Right. Batman as a. Detective, not right. not just kicking ass, but a detective. Yeah, right. I thought, thought that was well done, and people didn't like it. They just wanted. They just. I'm glad it was a hit because uh, you know they're they're gearing up for the next one. So I'm glad it it did well, but it was too dark for some people. They just sort of held their nose and said, "Oh, too dark." It's like, well, that's right. He wasn't like running around in day glow, slapping around, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, did you, Jake? What's your favorite iteration of Batman? A Batman. I like the animated series Batman. That's your favorite. I gotta say, yeah, it's a good one. That that or Batman Beyond Batman. That's mm, interesting. Uh, Batman Beyond or Spider Man twenty ninety nine. Batman Beyond. Mm-hmm. Love it. Okay. So good. Is that the one where the Joker's got dreadlocks? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it? Yes, it is. Oh, you know what? No, yeah, I think so. No, that was the that was the Batman. That was the cartoon uh, the Batman. Okay. Mm, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Oh that yeah, was, yeah, no, no, no. He was no. That he was just looked Bat- old. He just looked old. Batman in Jamaica. Yeah, he wore all black. He wore like the black, like a black suit. Because he he traveled. He time traveled, didn't he? Somehow, that's how he got to twenty ninety nine. He was still around, or he froze himself. I forgot. I, there's a reason he was still around in 2099 don't remember joker 2099 hold on yeah i think yeah 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 time travel yeah joker's time traveling now i guess they're working i guess they're working right now on that the new joker one with uh Who's playing Harley Quinn? Is it uh, Lady Gaga? I believe so. It is Lady Gaga. How do you feel about that? Well, I'm one of the few people that wasn't crazy about that first Joker movie. Um, 
not enough to go see the second time anyway. You know, most of these things you want to see a second time. I was kind of like one and done. But taxi but drivers, see John. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing. I knew that going in. And then it's funny, people that saw it that didn't actually get that. They're like, oh, it's this and it's that. And it's like, well, it's the Joker is filtered through Taxi Driver. <laughs> but right. if you hadn't seen Taxi Driver, you wouldn't know that, you know. So I don't know. I don't know why. I don't mind Dark. You know, I I liked the Batman. I don't know what rubbed me the wrong way about that Joker movie. Right. But I'll check the new one out. Maybe it's that it wasn't the iconic Joker. You know, I, I didn't mind that it was dark, but it was obviously just it was a Joker movie, not the Joker. And maybe that made a difference. I don't know. Right. It's too too unrelentingly depressing. <laughs> uh, that's like Brent always mentions the new James Bond movie, the James Bond depression cycle. Well, yeah, I mean, that was that was a pretty depressing James Bond, but, you know, they finished him off. What the heck? I mean, that was the, the reason you can kind of accept that is because it's obviously the end, the end of a chapter. You know, that was the end of that five movie arc, you know, so sure. you couldn't have ended like that any other way. But, yeah, what a way to go out. Jesus. Right. Well, it's almost inevitable, though, unless you're going to make him a real playboy. It's almost inevitable that a guy living that life would have a dark ending, you know. Sure. But he died doing what he loved, saving the world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And, a real hero. And he got the to hero's meet, ending. And he got to meet Anna de Armas. So it all wasn't it wasn't all bad, buddy. Jeez, if they could just make a movie out of that character, just spin that character off into a movie. They tried know? to with uh <laughs> they tried to with the with um they did a Netflix movie with uh Oh yeah? Chris with Captain America, is that who was in it? It was not good. Huh. Uh. It was not good. Was it making her into like a secret agent or something? Yeah, or? it was. Those Netflix movies are just always just all show and no go, man. They're just they they're just they just miss. You can tell you can tell their their scripts that got passed on by a studio. And, uh, yeah, and then Netflix is like, no, we'll make it, and uh, they get big stars to, to to be in them, and then they're not good. You know, there's no quality control anymore. Uh, whoever is greenlighting this stuff at Netflix, there's no quality control. By the way, uh, speaking of quality control, and I'm hoping because this is a network that has a a um, kind of a bad reputation for making really beautiful, but ultimately empty uh, shows about existing intellectual properties. Um, uh, have you seen the trailer for the new Fallout TV show that's going to be on Amazon Prime? Jake, have you seen it? I have no, I have no idea what that is. Fallout. Jake, John, Fallout's the show I always, the video game that you always want to watch me play because of the music. Oh yeah, yeah, right, right. So they're making a show of it. Yes, on Amazon Prime, and it looks amazing. It looks amazing. Did you see it yet, Jake? Or are you watching it right now? Don't watch it right now, Jake. He's watching it right now. I love it. He's watching it right now. Uh, they nail it. Uh, they, 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 they nail the look. Uh, the I, I thought I shared it with you guys. I guess I didn't. Um, yeah, I'm excited for it. Let's hope Amazon can uh, can keep the premise, uh, uh, keep mm -hmm. it keep it going. Uh, the nice thing about that particular franchise is there's a story, but it's it's big enough that you can drop any character into the lead and it will work. So, um, 
you know, the characters just kind of moving through this world, this post-apocalyptic alternate future. And uh, yeah, it's great. It's it's crazy. It's kind of a Fallout's kind of interesting because it it presents you with this alternate universe vision of America, you know, and then you're in that in that alternate universe's apocalypse post apocalyptic world. So it's kind of a dual. Wow. Life. What did you think of that, Jake? Oh, you're muted, Jake. We'll see. It looks okay. Oh my god. This of course, okay. you just you just watched That's you know right. thirty seconds of it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it looks amazing. It looks they it's nail it. Just, I mean, what Todd Howard's supposed to have a hand in it. So, do you like the game, Jake? Uh, I love the Fallout series. Um, I really liked uh, New Vegas because it had more of a Western style feel to it. So it was a lot of fun. Um, looked, Fallout Four, Fallout Four as a game was okay. Fallout Four is great. New uh, mm-hmm. Vegas is great. New Vegas is great. It looks like they're in- incorporating both, though. It looks like they might do a little bit of both. Yeah, I mean, it's this. It's going on around the same time. It's just ones in Nevada, and then Fallout. Oh God, Fallout. I forget where Fallout Three happens. Boston. Fallout. The uh, Fallout Four is Boston. But if you if you look at the beginning, it looks like L.A. getting uh, yeah, obliterated there because you see uh, Griffith Observatory. Let me see. This Fallout setting. It says Capital Wasteland, Washington D.C. Oh wow! Oh, maybe they just yeah. show L.A. getting nuked. Uh, That's Fallout Three. It's just a post. It's just post-apocalyptic, so they can really they can really put it wherever they want. That's, hey, that's what she said. All right, now put, the, yeah. put it wherever you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take a quick, quick, quick break. And uh, we'll be right back. I gotta, I gotta make sure this is where I gotta make sure everything's working. I'm seriously uh, stepping on glass right here, so I gotta. Let me just take care oh, of this real quick. Oh, that's a drag. Yeah, we'll be right back. We'll be right back after this. After this message, we're gonna talk about Sherlock Jr. John, I'm gonna send you the trailer real quick so you can watch it on your phone. Okay. All right. Here we go. So I can talk about it. We'll be back in two two seconds. Oh no, you can't because you can't leave the call. All right, we'll be right back. said something very controversial to John's break. He, he was talking about the Furiosa trailer, and I gave it a yawn. Well, I'm not. It's not controversial for me. I'm not a fanatic. I liked that one with Charlize Theron and Tom Hardy. I thought that was a pretty good Mad I Max. I thought that movie. was a great Mad Max. Why are we doing a sequel to it? Let's not. Come on. Because yeah, it made money, you know. And I'm kind of surprised. So George Miller is back. We'll see. You know, it's funny. It's like the only movies he can get greenlit anymore. It's Mad Max movies. No, you know, I think what threw know? me was it looked like it didn't look like he was directing. It looked like somebody else trying to do George Miller. And there was a lot of CG. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of CG, which shocked me because the mm-hmm. first one really, they really had that reliance on physical effects. So I don't know. Well, that's 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 the gripe is that you know everyone thinks of Road Warrior where those were actual trucks and cars and bikes. You know, so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of CG in it. Mm-hmm. 
this is where you wouldn't expect CG to be, where they're like, there's just vehicles that are just 100% CG. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, and you can always tell. That's the problem. It's funny, when you see something like Bullet or French Connection, you go, you know, there's a big difference between a real car <laughs> zipping around and a C you can never make a CGI car look right. It always, you can always tell. It's like watching a video game, you know? People watching CGI animals or riding CGI animals, it never looks right. Mm. Hey, we got to get, speaking of no CGI, let's talk about a guy yeah. who, who never used it. Not once, not once did he use CGI. Not a one. We're, of course, talking about uh, one of the all-time masters of cinema, uh, Buster Keaton. This is our first silent movie, which we're, I'm very excited about. Uh, we have finished with the 90s, and we will be moving on to the 2000s. After the new year, I figured we'd take a couple weeks and just start fresh in the new year with the 2000s. But uh, let's uh, let's go back and pick up some movies that we didn't catch the first time around. And uh, this one is uh, from 1923. Do you want to, Jake, do you want to give us the synopses? While I look up Leonard Maltin here. Sherlock Jr. Oh, God. Released in April on uh, April 21st, 1924. Oh, look at that. An 8.2 on IMDb and a 93% of Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Talking about a movie that's almost 100 years old. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. John, how much money do you think it makes? <laughs> <laughs> A hundred years ago, yeah. What qualified as a hit? I I have yeah. no idea. I think all his, I think all his movies made money up until like the general. I think mm -hmm. this was a hit, but I don't know what qualified as a hit in 1923. I'll give you uh, a hint. It's less than a million. That's all I'll say. How about that? Less people, less. Yeah, it's amazing. I have no idea. I have no idea. Mario, how much do you think it? Made? Uh, I made five hundred thousand dollars, buddy. Ooh, ooh, real close. It made four hundred and forty-eight thousand three hundred and thirty-seven dollars in wonder, the box office. Uh, did it really? And that's that's when that's, admissions that's, were. That's it was probably Google like about a. It was probably like twenty-five cents for a for a ticket. So think about that. You're making that kind of money, and tickets were probably like a quarter. You know. Uh, let's see. Give give me that. Um, give me that amount again. Four hundred and forty-eight thousand dollars. There's four hundred forty-eight, three hundred thirty-seven dollars. Yeah, I wonder what an average ticket was in those days. In two thousand, the American Film Institute, as part of the AFI one hundred year series, ranked the film sixty-two in its list of the funniest films of all time. And I'm sure it's in the um, the Library of Congress. I'm sure it's one of those films they. They put on their list of uh so adjusted for inflation, uh 448,000. I rounded down in 1924 is equal to seven million six hundred and eighty-five thousand four hundred and eighty-one. It's impressive. Seven million bucks. Uh which back then was a shit ton of money. Um mm -hmm. so Jake, you had never is this your first Buster Keaton movie? First Buster Keaton. I've seen some I've seen videos and stuff talking about Buster Keaton some, and uh, all the stunt work that he did, but right, but never actually seen a movie. What'd you think? I thought it was good. I was just—it's just the the stunts are so impressive because there's no there's no fluff, there's no CGI, there's nothing to hide. And he, he never uses a stuntman. He had a reputation for pretty much 
99% of the time, he never used a stuntman. So whatever he's doing, he's doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unless it was because he said he he said stuntmen are not funny. Whenever somebody would say, "Oh, use a stuntman for this," he'd say, "Stuntmen aren't funny." Yeah. <laughs> they may be able to do it, but they won't give it that attitude. You know. Even to the mm. point, I think in this one where he first, where the cop falls off the bike, he's actually switched roles and he's riding the. He, he falls off <laughs> right. the bike into the puddle, and does the thing where he like like hey to the motorcycle. Um, that see that whole that whole sequence is super impressive. It's riding on a fucking motorcycle on the on the, on the handlebars, like kind of controlling the motorcycle from the front. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. This, Absolutely insane. This was an attempt. I was telling Jake in the in the before we got started. This was his attempt. He what he wanted to do was it, it's this is kind of the it's it's a movie. It's really just like an extended short. You know, it's this you know there's kind of a couple chase sequences and stuff like that but what keaton set out to do here was he wanted to save some of those vaudeville tricks and get them on film mm. so nice nice when, when you see him go through the hoop when, when, when he's captured by the guys and he jumps through the hoop and then there's a a, a, a little literally a hoop skirt inside the there's a dress and he comes out the other side of the window dresses an old lady that was oh. like that was like a that was like a trick from vaudeville there's no cut he actually jumps through and comes out in the dress, and then uh, the scene where he dives into the wall and the guy is holding the case of ties in front of him and he disappears into the briefcase, and then you know into the wall behind the guy. Um, all of those were, were tricks, like stage tricks that he wanted to kind of preserve because vaudeville was kind of going on the way out. And so he yeah, that's the- great. I didn't know that. That's wonderful because that that probably ends up being about you know it's. Is preserved for all time, right? right you know, right. They, they say that they say that about Abbott and Costello. They said even for people that don't like Abbott and Costello, uh, they said all of those routines, virtually all their their routines were from vaudeville. So they said, well, you've got a complete record of all those at, those uh, routines because those were all out of vaudeville. You know, like uh, who's on first? Everybody, everybody did that routine, but they got it committed the celluloid. You know. Uh. I think this is probably. I'm going to make a bold statement. I this is my favorite uh, of of all of. Oh wow! Yeah, this is probably my favorite. Oh wow! Um, it's uh, no, that's no. I mean, I love the general. I love. Um, uh, I love um, Steamboat Bill. Steamboat Bill. I love them all, uh, but this one is really I, everything. Just works, um, and I love that he gets to be this character. You know, he's kind of this. Uh, He's kind of this underdog in one, but in the dream sequence, he's this, you know, really kind of almost arrogant guy. And I love the scene where he walks in with the top hat and he's just eyeballing everybody. You know, he's the detective. <laughs> he's eyeballing everybody. There's a lot of really great uh, little comedy bits in here. You know, when he gives her the, like when he slips the ring on her finger and she's looking at it and he hands her the magnifying glass so she can see the diamond in it. There's all kinds oh. of great little, uh, great little moments in here. And the whole sequence where he jumps into the movie screen, just the way they did that. Oh my God. Where he, you know. And that's, and that's not that CGI. That's so cool, yeah. Yeah. And you figured out. You like, know, that's yeah, they, amazing. They, they had to light the stage to make it look like a movie theater. They, they, they lit it extra bright so he could walk in and then, then they cut to the film. Later on, they cut in there, and then all the jump cuts where he's like right in line, like he starts the Pratt fall in one movie, and they cut to a different background, and he falls in a different. It's crazy, and he had to do it. I think they said he had to use surveyor's equipment to get everything right 
so that he would always be in the same relative relative position. Um, it was all this so many of his stunts. It's all down to measurement, exact measurements. They said he uh, he would have been like a civil engineer if he hadn't been a comedian. He would have been a civil engineer because so many of his stunts are based on precise measurements. You know, well, just like when he does and, the uh, when he jumps onto the crossing rail. Yeah, the tele the the the, the tri- railroad crossing uh, and jumps down the roof and lands in the back of the car as it's moving. Uh, so yeah. some of those are just you know, and the film's not sped up. It's him just doing that in real time. The timing is all there. Uh, well, when he yeah. drives across the gap in the bridge with the two cars <laughs> passing over, I know. And again, <laughs> that's like, really happening. Shit? You know, <laughs> you, it's like you have to get it right or else you're gonna die. You know, mm-hmm. and you know he really that thing where he falls. You know, the water knocks him to the to the railroad tracks. I guess that fractured his neck. They said for years he had migraines and. Couldn't figure out what they were coming from. Yeah, and, it's because he got fucking yeah. whiplash from the water hitting him so hard. Well, like, years oh. later, I guess he he fractured his neck or something on the on the rail from the force of the water. Because years later, uh, a doctor was looking at X-rays of his head, and they, he said, "When did you break your neck?" He says, "I didn't break my neck." He says, "Well, you've got evidence here of a of a fracture on your yeah. neck." And he says, "Oh, that must have been the time that the water knocked me onto the railroad tracks." He says, "Could that have done it?" The doctor said, "Yeah, that could have done it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Broke it's his amazing neck. he didn't die, you know. Yeah, broke his neck. Didn't know why that what that scene where he does the um, th- when they ran this on AMC, John. I originally saw this on one of the tape you gave me. Um, hmm. You um, you did I give you the documentary? You that, gave me the, the hard act to follow. You did. You gave me the documentary, but you gave me these on tape, and this movie had a score by a guy called Robert Giordano. He was in New York. I think it's Robert Giordano. I'm sorry, but it mm. was Nighthawk Orchestra. And I've never been mm. able to find that. And oh, I, really? Years ago, I wrote to him, and I said, hey, where can wow. I get a copy of this soundtrack? It's great. And he said, AMC, they, they commissioned it for that particular uh, screening. They, they commissioned it so they could run it. I think it was on AMC, right, is where you got it? Or PBS? I thought it was, it, it might have been. I thought it was Turner, but it might have been AMC. Maybe, yeah. maybe it was Turner or AMC. Whatever station, they, they commissioned him to do the score. But once it left, like, they it only they only have the copyright for that particular copy. So his Dude. score, his score can't, they can't put it on it. And it is great. So um, that scene where he is doing the, the shadow your man closely. And, uh, yeah. and uh, he's, like, you know, down to the trip. Where the guy trips on the cement, then he throws the cigar, and <laughs> Keaton picks it up and smokes it. Like that whole sequence is so well timed, so good. Yeah. And that I always in my head, I always hear that the, I there somebody saved that clip. I, I think there's a clip of it somewhere of that one little particular piece of music because it's just great twenties music. It's like this. It, they really, um, they really nail the time period of it. And boy, I wish I could find. The, you have it on tape still, John. I know you got those tapes somewhere. So. Well, did I give those? T- did I give you any tapes, or did I, I take them back? I, you took them back. I gave them all back to you, so you have them somewhere. Okay, then I've got it. Then so it's a, just a matter of, um, you know, I think my brother's got it set up where he can burn a disc off of the tape. Uh, so if I can find them, I've got a thousand tapes. But uh, I'm God. I wish I'd just given it to you those stacks. Man, but that, uh, I guess those were those were probably my only copies. You know, now I've got them on DVD. At the time, that was probably the only way to get them. I wish I don't think they had put them on video yet. Jake's gonna have to leave in a couple minutes. So, Jake, give us your uh, your all encompassing thoughts, ratings. Give us everything that you liked about this movie. Um, 
I thought the story was really cute. You know, it's kind of an underdog, underdog tale of, you know, him getting what uh, blamed for something he didn't do and then dreaming of how uh, he could be a, how could be uh, an amazing detective. That's when I really loved it. I thought the, I thought that whole sequence with um, whole dream sequence when he entered the, entered the movie was super cool. Um, and stunts are absolutely insane because there's no faking it. He just had to do all that stuff. Right. Um, so uh, even, even just to appreciate like what, film what actors and um like directors and what the film industry had to go through just to watch it just for that i think is super awesome so i give it i give it an eight nice not bad does it make you want to watch more buster keaton that's the question jake i just i want to watch buster keaton do crazy shit and there you go no just knowing that like nope he couldn't fake it there's no trick there's no nothing he had to do it maybe we will do the general next uh but i do want to i I do want to do a christmas movie before the 21st so um i will let you guys know but we jeff the general will definitely be on the list because if you want to move on jake and just watch it uh that is one where he is doing all these stunts with a train and and it's nuts he's using the chain the train is a giant prop and he's just running didn't he, didn't he grab a trolley he like grabbed a trolley like a oh, trolley there's a bunch of those that's in the, the yeah, like, that's in the that's short one of the shorts that's in the short cops you can find it online uh, yeah, a car comes by and he just grabs it and the car pulls him off. And you see his legs like fly up. Like it's not fake. He gets Almost yanked. He tears gets, his arm out of his Yeah, socket. he gets yanked by this car. But they used to do that in those days. Some of those guys like he's a he's a major athlete, you know. And this if you see the general uh Jake, you know, it's um He's doing all these stunts on a real train. He's he's like doing stuff on the cow catcher and on the top. And it's like one wrong move. You're just going to get run over by a train, and he, you know, it's the whole thing is a real train. <laughs> yeah. It's just hard to uh, to uh, overemphasize that because, you know, like that last Mission Impossible, you know, maybe some of that was done with a real train, but it wasn't the whole damn thing. This whole thing is a real moving train, and he's doing all most of the movies. Him doing these crazy stunts while the train is moving. <laughs> so, yeah, this is also before the Actors Guild, yeah, where they had to um, take precautions to make sure the actors don't kill themselves while they're doing stuff. Well, what ended up killing what ended up killing Keaton's career is he went over to a major studio. He was making these movies independently. He went to MGM and MGM told him you can't do these stunts anymore. We we've put too much money into you. And they started putting him in in these comedies that made a lot of money, but he wasn't doing a lot of he was still very popular. He but the, the, they were just these really standard dialogue heavy comedies. And there are a few scenes in a few movies where you can tell they let him at least do the stunt or do the gag. And they work beautifully well, but they're very few and far between. It um, just crushed his spirit. It right. just it just crushed him because he was used to calling the shots. They just kind of go out there and almost make these movies up on the fly and just do whatever popped into their head. And they just said, we cannot have you. We paid too much for you. We can't have you falling off a building or under a train. And it just crushed him. You know, I mean, <laughs> he just, you know, he said, I, I know how to do this. It's funnier. It's better. It's sharper to have me just walking around like a schlub and not doing this stuff is wasting my talent. And they just didn't care. Yeah. They just said, no, you got to do it our way. And that's the thing. In the early days, it wasn't so it was there wasn't so much money at stake. And MGM's like, we are not going to 
uh, risk our investment. We've paid X amount of dollars for you. We can't run the risk that you're going to die on a picture. So you're going to have to use stuntmen. And it just, it just, yeah, it just killed him. And that's kind of where the spirit. That's kind of where Jackie Chan becomes a spiritual successor to Buster Keaton because he was a big fan. And also because in the early days of when they were making those Hong Kong movies in the eighties, they they all say we just went out and did it. We just shot it on the street. We didn't have permits. We just say if the stomach were going to fall, we just have them jump off a building. There was no, you know, we'd maybe put a mattress down, but there was no elaborate rigging or anything to keep them from like flying off. They would just, you know, it's like you better land on the pads or you're going to break your arms. You know, well, so it really is like Keaton because <laughs> yeah. it, it's got to be an independent. It's got to be an independent production with not too many people looking looking around. You've just got to be able to do it on the fly. It's like guerrilla filmmaking, you know. Exactly, exactly. Well, Jake, we love you, man. I know you got to go. Um, love you guys too. Yeah, tis tis the season. Have a good shift, man. Make a lot of money. I hope so too. <laughs> All right. See you later, buddy. Uh, See you, Jake. So, John, you know, we, you and I, uh, we can talk ad nauseum about Buster Keaton, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll try to keep it short for the listening audience. Um, give me, uh, give me your thoughts on how do you feel about Sherlock Jr.? Where does this land in your in, in the pantheon for you? You know what? I think it might be the funniest. You know, you, I think you said it's your favorite. I, I have a really soft spot for the general in Steamboat Bill Jr., and I can't even put one above the other. They're both like epics, and they have. You know, there's more going on there than just stunts and laughs. There's those things almost work as uh you know, like the general almost works as a straight movie, which is probably why it wasn't a hit in its own time. People thought, gee, for a comedy, this has got a lot of serious stuff going on. And um it was ahead of its time. But those are the ones that I, I really remember is it's just the general and Steinbook Bill Jr. Uh, because there's just so many epic stunts and so many great story bits. But probably Sherlock Jr. is probably the funniest out of out of the you know ten or eleven that he did between like 1923 and 1929, it's probably the funniest. There's more funny bits and more great, just fall down funny stuff in Sherlock Jr. And you get the whole gamut too, when you think about it, he's doing these crazy stunts. He's doing some really broad fall down humor, but that stuff at the end is so subtle when he, when he's, um, so shy he's trying to figure out how to give her a kiss in the uh, projection booth right right and he's he's watching how how do they do it on the screen with the movie stars it's very subtle stuff right you know because you know he's um he's so subtle in the way he emotes he's he's just sort of like looking at what's going on on the screen okay he's giving her a kiss now i'm gonna give her a kiss and now he's giving her a hug now i'm gonna give her a hug and then when he sees the fade out and they've got kids they're married with kids he just like cocks an eyebrow like what <laughs> when does that happen <laughs> yeah right and uh he, it's just got, very subtle all that, that's that, going on in his face that you know? take he does when he sees the, the babies in the, on the screen uh that take yeah. he does is so good um uh, you know he's the whole he's the whole package because he's um this is some of the best directing you know i used to wonder why it was so short you i was looking at all his features all the features were at least uh, an hour and i used to wonder why sherlock junior uh, didn't you know it came in under an hour 45 minutes and i was reading some stuff and they said he cut it because it just wasn't working they they would always take it out for previews and he said it just wasn't working it was about 10 minutes too long and the guy that who's the guy that managed him, uh, Joseph Skank. Yes. Um, he uh, he said, "Oh, Buster, you can't. You got it. You you got to And he said, "No, it's not working. It's just it's like ten minutes too long. I'm going to cut it to forty five. It'll work beautifully. You know, it's it's still a feature, but it's just it's not working as like a you know six reels is not working. So he insisted. He cut out about 
10, 11 minutes. And he says, now it works. The rhythm just works better. And so he got his way. And so it, it finally answered the question, because I used to wonder, gee, this is the only one. It is the right length, but you wonder, why is this the one that isn't quite an hour, you know? Right. And uh, he had an he had a knack for it. It was just enough to tell the story. There was no fat. That's the thing. There's no flab. There's no there's no fat. It's real tight. Everything advances the story. And that's what the best directors do. There's no extra scenes. Everything just pushes it along, you know, right. moves the plot so, forward. So the short answer is, I think it's probably his funniest feature out of all of them. It's probably the funniest and also, as far as technological advances, the whole thing with him jumping, you know, doing the double exposure and jumping onto the screen, that's just flabbergasting. That would be enough to catapult that movie, you know, above so many others. You know, it's so far ahead of what everybody else is doing. But um, it's funny that this, in its own time, you look at the movies of his that were big hits, and it's not always the ones you would think. They said this one, uh, The Three Ages, and. Um, our hospitality were really big hits, uh, like globally. And this one was a hit, but not quite as much. It didn't make quite the money that the first two made. Right. So you just go, wow, you know, who knows? Because now Sherlock Jr. usually makes the short list of the best, best silent comedies of all time. It's right. always on the list, you know? Right. So it's, a, you know, 100 years ago, who knows what people wanted and, you know, and whether they felt they were getting it or not, you know? Well, there's a lot packed in this 45 minutes. Like, again, if you're, if you're going to pick one spot or if you've always wondered about what, you know, what's Buster Keaton about, what's all the fuss about, um, you know, this is the one to start with. Um, and, and it's 45 minutes long. So if you're not a big fan of the silence or you're not sure you can make it to an entire silent, like, you know, like an entire silent movie that's, you know, 90 minutes like the general, uh, this is half that half half the size, and you can you can break it down into chunks and and see if you like it. I for me, I think that the story relate you can relate it. it it's relatable, you know, because there's a little bit of the there's romance in there. You know, he's trying to you know it's like a little bit of a love story. It's this cute little love story. Uh, the the girl in the uh, the person that always makes you laugh is the girl in the candy shop. When she just comes back and she's like, you know, he's like trying to buy the candy and she's like, nope, <laughs> nope. Like that, her face is just the best. Uh, her, her yeah. Face, yeah, she has a really great, re really great look. And this is also a, a fascinating time capsule for what LA looked like in the 20, like 100 years ago. Ugh. You know, it's crazy you're because you've at, got all this empty space. You've got girt lots, you know, yeah. you've got, you got like, it's like you got like a practically wilderness where it's just not built up yet. There right. are places. It's like when you see the old Laurel and Hardys in Culver City, and you just see these, it just isn't built up yet. You've got places that are just like sandlots, or you know, a, it just hasn't been built upon yet. Right. Not every square inch is taken up. You've got trees and grass and stuff. Right. You've got things that are just, uh, you know, something that was probably like formerly like you know, orange groves or something. You know, you know, Hollywood is like this quaint little town, this quaint little sleepy town, and they're filming all around it, and um, you know. Some the of one horse town. Yeah, some of it's <laughs> built up, but you when when he's driving the motorcycle through, you know, uh through through Hollywood, I mean you see like, you know, there's nothing over three stories. You know, it's right. all these yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh uh you know, Thomas Murphy is having his stag party like at the LA River, you know, like that uh I always loved it just a sign. Thomas Murphy's stag party. <laughs> Uh, just a bunch of guys sitting around the, you know, hanging out. It it is a time capsule. It's really, you know, I mean, L.A. was sort of a cow town until like after the war. When I hear my grandparents talk about it, it really isn't until after World War II 
that uh, Los Angeles comes into its own, never mind Hollywood. It's all after the war when the, right. there's money flowing and people are building stuff. Then it happens. But up until then, it's it's nothing near what New York and Chicago are, no. you know? No, no, no. And that's the fun of these movies is you can see what L.A. and Hollywood looked like 100 years ago. And it looks pretty, un, pretty wild, pretty undeveloped. You know? right. Yeah. Uh, there's one scene where he goes across the railroad track and uh, and the train almost gets him. And um, oh, that was Jesus. A, that was actually filmed out in um, out in Orange County on uh, near. In, in what is now called at what is now called Placentia at the time was called Atwood, and uh, my grandfather used to farm a piece of land like across the street from where. Wow! Now it would have really? been it would have been a few years later than this. Uh, you know, he my grandpa was a young man in 1923. <clears throat> you know, he was he was in his teens, but um, or no, yeah, teens or early yeah, he was in his teens, but. Um, just to know that I used to, I drew, I had driven by there many many times and not known until I read John John Bengtson's book Silent Echoes, which I would recommend if you haven't picked it up. It's called Silent Echoes, and it's a guy who did all this detective work and found all of these uh, shooting locations for Buster Keaton movies. It's a great book if you're interested at all in the, in the history of the city of. Los Angeles and the surrounding areas. Check it out. Um, he did a lot. He does like before and after shots, you right, know. Right. And it took right. a long time because he had to look at. He had to be a detective. He's looking at old maps and old photos. Right. And in right. most in most cases, there's hardly anything that you know. Once in a while, he'll find a building that's still standing. Yeah. A lot of or times, like that, yeah. that alleyway, you right. know, by Coenga. Right. Where the where the where the uh, newsstand was for years. But yeah, all, like a lot of it, he had to go off of like I have the corner of one windowsill and it matches this photo. From, <laughs> you're just like, oh my god, man, this guy did some work. This guy did some incredible detective work. But um, yeah, so that that was always cool when when I found that out about where he filmed that. That was always kind of cool because I was like, wow, I grew up going here all the time as a kid, and I had no idea that this that's, it was part of. That's uh, crazy. Was that that was your granddad? Yeah, and it's what's nuts is uh, why did he have to go all the way out there? I mean, did they were is it because they had to stop the train? Uh, you know what it probably was? It was the water tower. They needed a place with a water tower. Maybe. You know? Maybe. You know, I it's funny, Mario. I my I've got a I've got a connection with my grandfather because when you look at the cars on the train, it's Southern Pacific. And my granddad worked for Southern Pacific his whole life. I wonder and if in, and when he and I always wonder too, I mean, everybody that could tell me is gone, but he started with Southern Pacific repairing old boxcars and like in downtown LA. So I just yeah, I don't know. Uh and this is 24, so I don't know. He might have still been in high school. But at some point, he works for Southern Pacific. And uh, so when I see those Southern Pacific, uh, you know, on, stenciled on the side of the the the, uh, the boxcars, I always think about that. The other thing I think about is that scene where he's hiding behind and the other, you know, the coupling happens right behind him that it kind of slams into the car. Right, right, right. My grandmother tells a story that um, – that uh, back when my granddad was working in the in the rail yards, there was a somebody gave her a call and somebody had uh, gotten caught between the cars, Yikes. like cut in half. Ugh. And she she was terrified because uh, my granddad had red hair, and they say this guy that got caught between the couplings had red hair. And so I think she had like an hour or two where she was just terrified that it was my granddad. And then she she got the call that it wasn't. But this guy, it's it's kind of like it is in the movie, only he was a little too far in. 
you know, he was you're, probably the first thing they tell you is don't get between the cars. Right. And so he got caught between the two couplings Jeez. and they said, you know, for a couple minutes before they pulled it away, he's still talking. Oh, I mean, he, no. he knows that he's dead, but you know, this thing just cut him in half. And until they pulled him apart, Ugh. he's still just sort of like standing there. Can you imagine? And, um, but they said this guy had a big mop of red hair and then she just went, Oh my God. And finally she got the call. No, no, it wasn't, it wasn't your husband, you know? Yikes. So well, thanks, I see for, that, thanks for uh, bringing that up, John. That's great. Well, way to, way so to bring you, down the show. Merry Christmas, you everybody. Can, <laughs> you, you can imagine when I see this movie, I always think of that, you know, that scene, it always makes me sort of like jump out of my chair because he's, you know, think about that. They're shooting this thing. And that's the whole joke is that he's, you know, he's just a few feet off of getting cut in half there, you know? You know, you, you just reminded me, like, my mom always has a, you know, I'll ask my mom, so, so, you know, blah, 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 you know, my cousin this, my cousin that. And then my mom will will, will will wrap up the story with the horrible way that that cousin died. Like, I'm like, what are you? You're like, it's like something out of theater of blood. She's just like everybody, uh, you know, like somebody. Did, oh, yeah. did everyone die a gruesome death? You oh, know? my God. She's got to, you know, it's like, I've got to, well, that's the cousin that got that fell off the horse and got trampled. Oh, that's the cousin that got hit by the train. Oh, that's the cousin that got caught in the gears at the at the paper factory. Like, these are real stories. These are real, like, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, why are you telling me this stuff? Especially like when you were a little kid. I think my grandmother had a habit of doing that too. And my mom used to say, why? Why tell the kids these stories that are just going to make them cry? You know, it's like. <laughs> yeah, you got to really, really be Johnny at the rat hole, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but you, you must have thought, did everybody in the family die a gruesome death? Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. Oh, my did, God. Did every cousin get uh, some sort of terrible. Did I ever? <laughs> Uh, but John, let's let's get back to the let's get back to the to the. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to digress. No, it's but fine. It's funny that we it's funny that we both have grandparents that uh, that had a connection to the to this thing. Yeah, just no, I mean, my grandpa would have been there years later. It's just funny that I, I yeah, I, I just and think, mine would have been years earlier. I, but uh, I just think it makes you think. I just think about that that it would have been. Uh, I, I spent so many so many times crossing that intersection and not knowing that here was the spot where Buster Keaton rode across the motorcycle. And that's the thing with that John Bengston book is that when you start looking at certain things, especially that little alleyway in Hollywood by Coenga, because they say that's one of the few places that's pretty much untouched. That alleyway is still an alleyway and the building behind it is still there. It's been a million different things on either side. You know, now it's, now it's a newsstand, but, uh, when you look at that, you go, that's still there. So when I'm in Hollywood and I pass that newsstand, I think there's that alley where he caught the car, you know? Right. And somebody's somebody's put a plaque there because they also figured out that Chaplin shot, shot a scene in that alley and so did Harold Lloyd. So they said, you've got the three giants of silent comedy and all three of them had filmed the scene in that alleyway in Hollywood on Coenga. So they somebody's put up a little a little bronze plaque that said, okay, this is, <laughs> this is a very famous alleyway, you know? Love it. All right, John, let's, is that cool? let's rank, uh, your, give me your mm. ranking on Sherlock Jr. What do you think of this sweet baby? Uh, uh, yeah, I guess, um, like a 9.5, I guess. <laughs> what? But probably, probably the funniest of all the Keaton movies. Yeah. Is, I, I, I guess I saved tens for like, uh, the general and steamboat bill. Jr. A 10, and all that this stuff. is a 10 for me. This is a 10 for me. Is that a 10 for you? Oh, perfect. It's a perfect Keaton movie because you get a little bit of everything. You get the yeah. stunts, you get the comedy, you get the uh yeah, the, the, yeah. you get the, the Pratt Falls, you get the there's just some good gags in here. 
There's some really good gags. In some here. of the best, like all that stuff with the pool table. And that's probably out of vaudeville. Right. All that stuff with the trick shots, you know, right. and, and, you know, he's making those shots. He said, we're not going to cheat the audience. If I've got to do it, I got to do it. You know? Right. So I'm sure somebody taught him how to do those trick shots. Yeah. With the, uh, you know, I'm sure one of those balls has got to be nailed down <laughs> in some of those scenes. But somebody taught him how to do those shots because it's obviously Keaton, you know. Oh, it's the best. It really is the best. I love, I love that he's still got it in his pocket. So they're they're chasing around. He's still got the exploding eight ball. Right. Pocket, right. You know? <laughs> hey, what kind of brakes did that car have, John? Do you did you remember? Now, what's that? <laughs> There's like a 20 minute shot that says four wheel brakes on the back of the. Oh they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They really they have to, to. They have to establish the shot. They had yeah, to really yeah. sell that gag. I was like, wow, that's the. You know what? That might keep it from being a 10. That might, might drop it to a nine. Well, you know what it is? No, I can I can explain that. Uh, I'll bet you there weren't too many cars in those days that had the four wheel brakes. You know. Right. right so right. It, it was probably completely in keeping with uh, setting the joke up. Somebody also mentioned online that they uh, there's a James Bond movie that takes that takes that bit where he slams on the brakes and the chassis keeps going. So, you know, uh, I don't know which movie it is, but they said James Bond definitely ripped us off, you know, from Keaton. If you're going to steal, steal from the best. Steal from the best. Nobody better. Nobody does it better than Buster Keaton. That's the thing. We've talked about this before. You see a good chaplain, you go, my God. You know, or you see like Safety Laughs with Harold Lloyd, you go, holy shit. But when you see a Keaton, it's just firing on all cylinders. And it's everything. It's everything from the framing to the acting to the stunts to the everything is just firing on all cylinders. I, I haven't That's seen, what, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. But I haven't seen enough Harold Lloyd to give, you know, to say, you know, I really, I've only seen a cop, seen Safety Last and a couple others. Um, I've seen a lot of Chaplin. With Keaton, um, with the exception of some of his later movies, uh, Keaton always had a rule where he never asked the audience. Uh, he said, I, I will never ask the audience for their tears or something. To that right. Effect. If they, if they feel sorry for me, that's their business, but I'm not going to, I'm not going right. to milk it. Yeah. Right. Whereas Chaplin, that's, that's Chaplin different is from Chaplin. That's yeah. very different from Chaplin. So I think the fact that he plays it like that and the fact that he underplays the emotions, mm -hmm. give all of his movies a very modern feel. It gives them a very, that's what, I think that's why every audience, every, every decade seems to take Keaton to heart because it, it feels modern because he's not going for your sympathy. He's not going for the jugular, right? You know, he, he leaves it up to you and that makes it, you're, you're right, Mario. It makes it feel very modern. Yeah. Right. He, you know, the, the emotionless and it's, it's, let's get, let's get, you know, he was the great, they called him the great stone face, but he does, he conveys a lot of his emotions with his eyes and with some of his, looks Oh yeah. And with some of and his, that's great acting. And you know, yeah, this, think about that. That's that's like that's like an acting exercise. See if you can convey terror or love or fright without moving your mouth. <laughs> you know, without bugging. You know, see if you can do it without an expression on your face. You know, some of my with body language. Some of my favorite gags involve Keaton in some of his shorts. There, there will there will be a scene. In, you know, every every few movies where he will he's being chased by something, and then like something will get his attention. Like he'll you know an elevator door will do something or, you know, he'll push a button and it'll make a note, you know, you know, 
something. It'll make something will grab his attention and he'll stop in the middle of the chase and kind of investigate it. And it always makes me laugh. Um, it, and then he realizes, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm being chased. I've got to, you know, and then turn around and run. Um, all those, yeah. those moments always make me laugh. Uh, and uh, yeah. he's very good at those little moments. Um, little touches business, you know, he, he's the, he's the complete, I mean, he's the original triple threat. He's such a good actor. And then on top of that, to be such a great stuntman and then a good director, you know, Wells himself said, you can't do better than the general. It's probably the best movie ever made. It's just, you know, he's probably, you know, when they get around to rating him as a director, he's usually toward the top. They just right. say the thing that, you know, people weren't talking about that back then. It was like, you know, is he getting a laugh? Is he, what's he doing with the Pratt Falls? But when you look at the movies now, you go, this is expert directing as far as how he sets up a shot, how he pulls you in, how he lays it out. It's always... You know, one of those guys that was his contemporary said he always knew where to put the camera. It was always in the right spot, you know. Right. And uh, that's the way you feel, that there's no other spot. Where he's put it is exactly where it needs to be to take it to take the whole scene in, you know. Right. Right. And, yeah, just to, at the top of his game here. Um, just, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's He's never better. Yeah. I mean, this is really just, just shot for shot. This is just, uh, yeah, I don't know why I didn't give it a 10 because you can't improve upon it. It's, um, and now I know why, you know, now I know why it was, I always do, used to wonder, you know, gee, you know, why isn't this like feature length? And he was, he's one of these guys that says, you just, if, if the audience is getting restless, you know that you've got too much in there, you know? Right. Right. Uh, Disney, Disney Disney did the same thing. He'd preview like the animated stuff and go, it's lagging. And they go, my God, how are you going to take out, like I think Snow White, he took out this whole sequence where they're like, you know, eating soup around the table. And they go, God, this is so beautiful. He goes, yeah, but it's, it's dragging the movie down. It's 10 minutes that's just, there's no need for it. <laughs> so he right. says, it's got to go. I don't care what we spent on it. It's got to go. It's, it's killing, you know, it's killing the mood. It's killing the pacing, you know? Right, right. All right. Well, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to give it, a, I'm going to stick with the, I'm going to, I'm going to give it, stick with my 10. John gives it a nine and a half. And then uh, Jake gives it an eight. So please check out. Sherlock Jr. It's great uh, if you if you want to dip your toe in. And there's a bunch of great copies available on YouTube you can find for free. So spend 45 minutes. Look, you're gonna watch some kind of. Demo. And Mario, you 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 picked the right one. You picked the right one. You, you I gotta hand it to you because this is the one. If, if if for anybody who's not sure if they can sit through a silent movie, and they're not, you know, uh, comedies always work better than trying to sit through like a John Barrymore movie or something. Right. If you're going to try out a silent movie, comedies are always the way to go. And this is probably prime Keaton for the fact that it is so tight. It only requires, you know, less than an hour of your time. And I think anybody seeing Sherlock Jr., you know, you're going to become a fan. The thing with Keaton is I've never seen anybody watch one and not become instantly enamored, you know? Right. Most people become, they, they convert immediately. <laughs> They go, oh God, where have these been my whole life? You know, right. will you convert? No, 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 no. Uh, all right, guys, we're gonna wrap so you it up. picked the right one. Well, you I appreciate really did. that, John. You know, I, I do some work, the, some work goes into this podcast, not a lot, but some. Uh, no, you do great work, and this this just shows it. This no, is no, the no, perfect no, pick. No, 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 please, let's see. You, you carry me. You you are the wind beneath my wings, sir. You, sir, lift me. Uh, I'm really glad that we're going to do the general. I'm really well, glad. Well, I don't know when. It's coming up soon, I but know. I don't know when. I know. But we'll just. I know. 
But I don't. I It'd don't, be great. It'd be great if we could get a few more people in on it. You know. Well, f them. I mean, you know, <laughs> this is the life they chose, and uh, sometimes they have to miss podcasts. You know, but we and I just keep cranking it out. We'll be here. You know what I'm saying? I'm kidding, of course. We we miss Justine and Patrick and 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 Jake and 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 Justine and the rest of the gang. And you know, we we wish we hope you're back soon. Did that sound completely insincere? Uh, well, I, I was just thinking how you and I are like, uh, you know, we're uh, we're like evangelists for, you know, you completely turned me on to Jackie Chan. Hey! You gave me, you, you gave me this whole tape that you custom built of all his best bits, you right, know? Right, right. <laughs> well, you know, after, you're, after seeing the Buster Keaton, I was like, well, John's got to see Jackie Chan. This has to be... I guess be. I'd forgotten that I, I guess I'm the one that turned you on to Keaton. I'd forgotten that. Yeah. It was, that when, I, my, it was when my leg was broken. You gave me, uh, I had nothing to do. Hard act you, to follow and all that. all that stuff. Yeah. It was the whole Keaton film festival on AMC and it was the whole deal. Yeah. I guess that must, he was having a moment. I guess that must've been, what was that? Was that early nineties? Yeah. Like early nineties. Yeah. Because, um, they had that three parter, a hard act to follow, which was a big, the big documentary and then they you could you know he's going scene by scene sort of showing you how he did some of those stunts and then suddenly oh yeah now i can tune in and watch them all <laughs> so right. i guess i was taping them right off of amc that must have been it you're a good egg john you're a good egg well i'm gonna do a deep dive for that tape and if there's a way to isolate that soundtrack for you i'm gonna do it god i hope so all right hey we're gonna take off but uh, we'll be back uh, in two weeks on the 21st with our special Christmas show. I haven't decided what we're going to watch. Maybe we'll watch like Santa Claus watches the Martians or something versus the Martians. Let me look at what. So that's the 21st is a Thursday. It's a Thursday. Thursday. Okay. So we are going to do one before Christmas. Okay. Uh, I think we should. I think we should. I believe, yeah. I believe we can get a special guest that day that I'll keep under wraps, but uh, okay. yeah, I like that. I like that alcove, that little alcove right there. You have in the wall that ensconcement. Is that what that is? So can you see that? You got a little Frankenstein there, and a lurch, and another Frankenstein. And a... that is a that is a uh, there's Frankenstein, and then there's that's Herman Munster. That's a toy I had as a kid from like '65. That you pull the string and it talks. That's like a Herman Munster puppet. Wow! <laughs> I wish you guys could see this, uh, but it looks great. And then there's a lurch record. Right, do the lurch by Ted Cassidy. Yeah, love it, John. You're uh, you're. You're a man after my own heart. Uh, you're mm. But hey, guys. Right back at you. We will see you next week. Uh, until then, for Jake, for John, and for myself, we say this transmission ends now. Fight the power. Fight the power.